The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to go from Columbine to fixing our kids. I thought we would have a show that would... um, commemorate the 10th anniversary of Columbine, which occurred on a Tuesday, April 20th, 1999, in Columbine high school, at Columbine High School in Colorado. And I thought that besides, of course, uh, remembering the tragedy, there are lessons that we need to remember from the tragedy, including um, what we need to do to make sure children are raised in a way that such things could never happen. And um, we need to reflect upon how we, can, how we continue to fail our children of all ages and grades and what we can do to fix our broken promises. And who best to help us with this but Dr. Esther Jansen. She's a doctor of, she has a doctorate of education. She has a practical doctorate as well, having spent 25 years in an urban public high school. And she's going to tell us what really goes on behind the graffiti-covered walls and colored walls, too. She's an educator, a literacy advocate, and she is the author of the new book called Plus It, How to Easily Turn Everyday Activities into Learning Adventures for Kids. So, Esther, welcome to the show. Thank you so very much. I'm just delighted to be here. Well, I'm delighted as well because you have so much to share um, with people, whether they're parents or grandparents or babysitters or uh, teachers, friends, um, society in general, because really, you know, we, we always hear from time to time in the news, we hear um, our, our children are our future, you know, we have to uh, uh, pay attention or pay taxes or uh, support our schools. And yet, it really seems like it's lip service. You know, I think a lot of people think these days when we hear children are our future that, well, you know, by the time the oh, elementary school classes are or, or before that, you know, children, whatever age, by the time they're out of school, um, I'm not going to be around or I, I, I'll be in a nursing home or I won't care or, you know, I just care about the time that I'm going to be around. And I think that, um, that really the, the value of education has been totally lost, you know, other than this lip service. I don't think people understand how important that is, both education in the schools education on an emotional level, 
Um, and all of this education really starts at home. So before, and, and of course that's what your new book, um, plus it, is, is primarily addressing. But let's start with, since you, know, you have this wealth of experience, we were talking before the show and you were saying that you worked uh, as a high school English teacher in urban, or how did you put in, in Philadelphia's urban district? Inner city. <laughs> Inner city, there we go, yes. Which, um, and you live to tell the tale. So, and you taught English to, from, to all grades from ninth to twelfth graders. And when was that and what, what, um, I mean, you know, in light of looking at the fact that, that high schools are not as safe as they once were and that kids are not the same in a lot of ways as they once were, what, um, you know, in light of Columbine, um, trying to understand this better, what are some of the things from your wealth of these 25 years that you think are significant? When I had been in schools, and it was really through the 70s, 80s, and, and sometimes uh, some part of the 90s that I was in school, teaching in school in Philadelphia. And Carol, uh, it was really an awesome experience. I mean, I really feel like I've had a, uh, a wonderful um, uh, uh, experience with being um, in the middle of the American dream and, and working with it. Um, but what I uh, come away with now, when I read the newspaper, and, and I'm in school some too now, I sometimes supervise um, student teachers, I, I come away with the feeling that really um, very little has changed in the last 30 or 40 years. And I think that's a really important conclusion because people have been working diligently to try to make change in school. But we still, when we get the statistics on high school dropout rates, it's still in, in most cities, it's around the 50% mark, 50%, 60%, depending right. on, the, uh, on the school and, and the city. Wow. And um, so uh, I, I come away with just a, a whole lot of uh, ponderings. I'll tell you one of my um, in the things that I, I really uh, think about and, and wonder about is this whole notion that what our schools are primarily about is developing cognitive skills. You know, the linguistic skills and the cognitive skills, teaching our kids how to analyze, how to how to uh, comprehend, how to take in knowledge, how to process it, how to uh, do all that, and it's all that stuff is extremely important for our kids to be able to go out into the world and be productive citizens and workers. However, the other two aspects of uh, child development, of human development, are the social and, and emotional aspects. And when you think about Columbine, uh, what's really clear is that the school was working hard to do those, uh, uh, to develop the linguistic and the cognitive parts of the children and um, that school, as well as probably every other school in this country, didn't know how to address the social and the emotional aspects sufficiently that, that um, what happened at Columbine could be, uh, would not have happened. Um, so uh, teachers aren't trained to do that. Schools don't see it as their job. It's not measured. We don't uh, have any accountability system to see how how schools are addressing the social and emotional issues. And it, in fact, you know, I think you could argue that it isn't the job of the schools 
to actually spend a whole lot of time developing those skills, those components of a, of a child's development, um, but the responsibility lies elsewhere. And yet, it's through the schools. The schools are the places, places where all those children meet, and it's the, in many ways the best place to make some kinds of interventions. So I know that there are plenty of, not plenty of, there are a variety of programs out there in the world that are attempting to uh, enter high schools, provide um, uh, workshops and so on um, in uh, character development, in personal management, in, in teaching kids uh, emotional intelligence, in teaching them about interpersonal skills. But those um, kind of programs are few and far between and in some cases, they're still too late. It's still too late. I, I think the the main interventions that can be made to avoid, um, hopefully, Columbine type episodes in our national experience, the place to address it is is earlier on in the experience of a child. Yes, yes, because sometimes by the time they get to high school, these personality patterns and problems are already so fairly well ingrained. You know, it's interesting that you, your perspective is that things haven't changed. And yes, I, I see what you're saying as far as uh, the dropouts and so on. But from my perspective, um, it seems like things have changed in the sense of kids being more, uh, well, being more um, needy. I mean, we're sort of talking about the same thing, more needy of, of these interventions because now, you know, like there are, there were studies of what kids had to worry about in the 50s compared to what they have to worry about now or what things kids got into trouble for in the yeah. 50s, like talking out in class and, right. you know, things were not carrying guns to school or, or knives. or um, and, and now so many kids come, and I'm sure you saw this, um, when they come to school, they're, it's so hard for them to think about math when they're thinking about their mother who's passed out drunk on the couch yeah. or their parents who are getting divorced or the father that they don't even know or, um, you know, the gangs on their block. And, and yet they're supposed to sit there and, and think about Shakespeare and, and math. Right. Um, I mean, you've, asked, you've described it like it is. It's totally that way. And again, the the um, the issue is like, what does the school do about it? The school has a charge to do other kinds of development. How can how can teachers um, intervene sufficiently? I, I want to say that you know, as a teacher and uh, with some experience in administrative type work, I uh, I of course there are inadequate teachers, you know, some some place, but on the whole, my experience is that teachers are working their hearts out uh, to try to find ways to help kids, um, kids of all ages, kids at all levels. You know, elementary school teachers are just working so hard, and, and the middle school teachers, bless their hearts, and the high school teachers are all really working, and I think the administrators are too, to try to find a way to uh, meet the needs. I mean, it's all about meeting needs, and uh, meeting needs within the context of knowing that you are also supposed to be providing um, uh, a lot of uh, academic material to the kids. 
Yes, I think too much has really been put on the school. Parents have been abdicating their responsibilities in a lot of ways, you know, teaching social skills, listening to them emotionally, being there for them emotionally, being providing nurturing homes, you know, the ba- the most basic uh need that children have to have to grow up in a loving home. And and even things like food. I mean, now, you know, yep. since when do, do kids depend upon the school to provide food for them. I, I, I think, you know, that's sort of a an example of the nurturance, literally, that they're supposed to be getting at home that, that somehow the schools have taken on the responsibility for. Well, we need to take a break. Okay. We will be back. My guest is Dr. Esther Jansen. Her book, which we'll be talking about soon, is called Plus It, How to Easily Turn Everyday Activities into Learning Adventures for Kids. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Keeping families together whole and healthy is sometimes a serious challenge to parents. And when there's a crisis, where do you turn for help? Right here. The Parents' Hour with Dr. Arlene Kerman. An open and frank forum covering both legal and social issues surrounding our kids. Tune in for The Parents' Hour with Dr. Arlene Kerman. Every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Radio Network. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about uh, honoring Columbine, and we're going from Columbine to fixing our kids. Because if we had done that, Columbine wouldn't have happened. Um, you know, that's, of course, one of the things that uh, Columbine, one of the ways that Columbine was significant for me was that for years um, and continuing, I tried to make people aware of how um, violent media is, in my opinion, still the number one addiction in our country and the number one cause of violence all over the world. And um, and there have been studies for centuries, well, not centuries, I guess decades. Uh, there have been enough studies, thousands of studies for decades uh, all over the world that have pointed to the same conclusions of how media violence, whether it's movies or television or now video games and, and um, uh, toys, uh, war toys, you know, soldiers and so on, um, music, with violent lyrics, books, any kind of medium that you can think of, the more that someone ingests this media violence, the more likely they are, of course, and of course it depends upon the personality and the home life and so on of the person, but um, in it, on top of that, the, the anger that's stirred up in someone, as with uh, the two Columbine shooters, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, um, they, even though they came from relatively middle class, at least, uh, homes, there, there was obviously something missing, you know, that their parents didn't know, didn't care what was going on with them down in the basement as they were uh, consuming violent media and, and making pipe bombs and collecting guns and so on. So obviously, you know, these parents were not and had not been paying attention to them from the time that they were really young because even if they were bullied and, and so on, um, depending upon, they obviously didn't feel that they could come to their parents and tell them about it or ask them what to do. Um, and really so much of it comes from, you know, bullies pick on on kids who already are vulnerable because they have problems going on at home. So we have these two shooters who killed 13 people, injured 23 others 10 years ago, and um, they were rabid consumers of violent media, uh, including video games such as Doom and uh, Quake, and um, they... Um, had made videos themselves in which they played hitmen for hire, um, you know, obviously giving a clue to people who, you know, were not paying attention. Uh, they, they did the attack on Hitler's birthday. Um, they, they were uh, Quake. I don't know if I mentioned that. Quake was uh, one of the, the games that they played, video games. And... Um, the movie that has inspired, in all my research, the movie that has inspired the most killings, the most violence, 
is natural-born killers. And indeed, that is uh, what that was one of their favorites as well. And they used the uh, letters NBK for natural-born killers as the code name for their Columbine attack as they were plotting it. So um, this is something that parents, you know, and, and well, not just parents, everyone, friends. I mean, you, you know, if you're a friend of someone who is uh, and uh, consuming too much violence, this is something that is is an increasing problem, not only in in school children, but um, but all over the world. Um, and uh, of, of course, you know, making the, in fact these um, the Columbine High School massacre itself, in a sense, really unfortunately, uh, was in the news, of course, tremendously, and that in itself caused copy and continues to cause copycat killings, um, like the Virginia Tech massacre and so on, and just smaller ones that occur, you know. They don't get as much uh, news coverage because either people weren't killed, they were just injured, or not as many people were killed. But this in itself uh, has been has become a stimulus, a violent media stimulus for other copycat killings. Um, my guest, uh, Dr. Esther Jansen, is uh, one of her her badges of honor is that she spent 25 years in an inner city school in Philadelphia dedicating herself um, to helping children follow the American dream, as you were saying before. And what, what was your experience in terms of uh, seeing the impact of media violence? Um, I'll tell you, it was a little different because, I, I, for example, um, we didn't have computers back when I was right. um, Well, we did have computers, but the, the kids didn't have access to them much at that time, so a lot of uh, the games that were available there um, weren't, weren't uh, the kids didn't have access to them. And even video games as we know them now, uh, the community I taught in was um, pretty poor, and even though obviously many people in poor communities have a lot of access to, to technology, I think at that point this was not the... Um, not as prevalent and not as much in the consciousness of kids as it is now. So uh, that doesn't mean there wasn't a lot of violence in um, in the 70s and 80s in Philadelphia, where I was. Uh, there were there was a, a huge gang problem at various times. It waxed and waned, um, and it was um, more uh, prevalent in the comprehensive high schools. I actually taught in a vocational technical high school, which uh, drew from all, all over the, the city so that the gang issues weren't as... Um, uh, well, but what about, bit. did you notice things, for example, even then in terms of movies or television shows where they would uh, act out some of these things or talk about these characters or in your English classes, you know, write about those kinds of things? Yes, that, that did happen some. It certainly happened some. But I, I would say it's really, really been increasing in the 90s and into the 2000s. It's um, much more um, much more common. Uh, people have much more access to it. Uh, kids, I think, are doing it more. And I thought what you just said ab- about um, violent, violent media being the number one addiction in um, our culture now or maybe around the whole world, I thought you gave such an eloquent uh, summary 
of what it is and what it does. Um, and I, I totally agree with you uh, that that's a, a serious issue now. I do know young adults in, in my experience who, um, you know, when you walk behind them in their house and you see what they're watching on the screen, mm. uh, it, it's just it's horrifying. <laughs> and I, 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 it's like I can hardly believe it. Um, but it is. It's, it's totally out there. Um, I think, you know, I think it's just so important that we get to the parents and say to the parents, that is not appropriate, and it's up to you, parent, that yes. to do something about it, because who else can? They're, they're only people that yes. are close enough to the daily life of children, of teens, to be able to do anything about it. Right. Well, okay, and that leads us right into why parents should be starting early to put their kids on the right track, which brings us to your book, Puffet. How to easily turn everyday activities into learning adventures for kids because if parents do this, uh, they will be spending less time watching, listening to, and so on, playing violent media. So tell us about this book, why you wrote it. Let's start with that. Okay. Well, as you know already from our conversation, I was a high school English teacher, and the arena that I was really interested in was literacy. And, uh, you know, I even went and got a master's degree. This is before I, I got a uh, doctorate. I got a master's degree in psychology of reading. I uh, tried to work reading development into my English classes. I, you know, saw plenty of other teachers who were assigned as reading teachers, uh, saw what they were doing and so on. And the long and short of it is that I concluded uh, belatedly, really, after I, after I left um, formal education, I concluded that we we're directing our efforts at absolutely the wrong place, that actually, except in the cases, in most rare cases, the interventions around literacy, around kids, helping kids to move beyond functional literacy or even maybe to functional literacy, um, the effort to do that has to be someplace else. It doesn't work in high school. It's too late. Just way too late. Middle school is too late. And... Um, I uh, had the opportunity to do some consulting in some uh, elementary schools here in Los Angeles. This is after I um, uh, uh, retired from the Philadelphia School District and came out to California. And in the process of consulting with elementary schools, I got such a clear sense of the teacher's terrible disappointment with the amount of parental engagement in the education of, of young children. And I thought, you know, how hard can it be to get parents up to snuff a little more? And wouldn't it be wonderful, wouldn't it change totally the dynamic in elementary school if kids came to school much more prepared? So I, uh, I thought, well, let me see if I can come up with some sort of a solution here. And uh, I, I developed one product, and, and more recently then I've developed this other little little book, because, um, you know, um, I, I'm aware that it's actually between uh, one-year-old to five-year-old, to four-year-old, where the, the real foundation for literacy is laid. Mm. And if that is true, then even putting kids in preschool at three and four and five, and then taking them into elementary school, that is not a sufficient intervention if we want to change literacy in, in this country. Well, that's a great place to leave off, and, and you'll tell us more about it and what we can do about it when okay. we come back. Okay. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, 
My guest is Dr. Esther Jansen. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. And uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. As I was saying, I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at skillsusa.org. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're going today from Columbine to fixing our kids. And that's what we're talking about uh, right now, fixing our kids with Dr. Esther Jansen and her new book, Plus It. How to Easily Turn Everyday Activities into Learning Adventures for Kids. And before the break, Esther was telling us about how, why she was motivated to write this book. And it, yes, it's so interesting um, what you were saying that, that really between one and four is when what? Parents need to lay the groundwork for children to read. And I guess that goes with children to do other things as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, I just wanted to, to, uh, 
quite a study, and I'm not being, I'm not, I'm not pulling up right now, so I'll just pass on that study. But um, what my little book is about is how all those moments that all of us have with children, and I am a grandmother, and a lot of my um, interest in this topic comes from the wonderful experience of being a grandmother, but it, um, how we can take all those little moments that we have with kids when we're um, maybe a little bit unsure of ourselves, maybe a little bit bored with what we're doing with them, and turn those into moments where the, both you and the kids are learning and, and growing and excited and bonding and laughing and having uh, a, a unique experience. Um, so that's, that's what this little book, Plus It, is about. Plus It, uh, it's kind of an odd term, but uh, it means to take what you're already doing and add value to it and make it more educational and fun for kids. And it's such a simple concept, and my belief is that um, every parent can get involved in plussing the activities they might do with their kids. Once they sort of get the, the, the hang of what kinds of things you can do to enrich an activity. And, and I'm talking about the simplest kinds of activities. Maybe you're asking a kid to take um, the garbage out. Uh, you know, take the garbage out of the kitchen and put it in the, in the dumpster bin. And uh, what, what could be done to make that activity a little bit more uh, educational? Well, I, I thought about that, and I thought, well, what if you'd have the kid step on a, uh, a scale with the, the bag of garbage and without the bag of garbage, let the kids subtract the difference, and figure out how much garbage they created, the, the family created that week? Hmm. And, you know, you could do something like that over, over a period of time, develop a chart, you know. There's just a million ways where the the simplest, most basic activities could be made interesting um, and and teach uh, various kinds of skills. Um, I really believe that um, when parents get a mindset where they're looking for opportunities to plus it with their kids, I think parents can have a better experience of parenting. I... Um, I know that many parents, particularly mothers, but fathers too, um, can find parenting tedious, and their impulse is then to set a child in front of a television. And um, this does very little to enrich a child, a child's experience, um, in terms of their own real mental growth and, and uh, expansion. Um, so if we can just develop... Uh, Start planting the seeds of ideas of ways that a parent can um, just make up a situation on the spot, make up an activity on the spot. Then we give that parent so many, so, so many more options, and and the parent is able to give the child so many more options for what to do with with any particular moment. Um, so, well, why don't you? You know what I like about the book is that. Um, you make it really simple, and yet by organizing it into different um, chapters and different experiences, you you make this as a sort of a reference book, a simple reference book um, for parents to use. To I mean, it's not like you're suggesting things that are activities that are that complicated, but it's when you're when you're a parent and you're there in the moment, you know, and you're thinking about twenty things at once. Um, or maybe more than one child at once, 
you just don't think about these things. But you have this, your, your chapters of um, uh, Plus It on a Walk, uh, While You Wait, Nine Great Things for Kids to Memorize for the Mind, Nine Great Ways to Stretch the Imagination, Plus It with Low Moods, 15 Things to Do When Kids Are Feeling Blue. I like that. Um, without money, which people really need these days when kids want to spend it and you don't, um, plus it with TV and technology, plus it for housework, fun with dirt and drudgery, um, decisions in a car, supper conversations at the table, three easy steps to creating, it, to creating plus it activities yourself, and so on. So it's like, you know, you can go right to this and... Um, and find something for the moment, you know, in, in two seconds. Why don't you give us some examples? Uh, sure. Well, you know, uh, right now with the economic uh, condition being what it is, um, let's look at uh, how you can, uh, what you can do with kids when they want to spend money and you don't. Um, they, I, I'm just going to turn to that page in my little book here because it's, it's an easy reference here and... If I can do this with one hand, if I'm <laughs> on the phone, um, a couple things are obvious. One, obvious, but you know, sometimes the most obvious things we miss doing. Right. Uh, and one of those things is to really uh, find the free things in your in your town. Um, I'm presuming most of the people listening to this live in in urban areas or uh, small towns, and uh, invariably um, on town bulletin boards, whether they're in the grocery store or whether it's in the local newspaper. There are lists of things that, that kids can do. It might be something that's sponsored by a church or by the fire station or by the library, but those, those are activities, and they are wonderful activities. Not only do the kids learn in each case from those kinds of experiences, but they're very likely to meet new friends or old friends at that kind of, uh, of experience. So um, I, just, I just think that our communities are trying to help parents and parents need to um, avail themselves of this. Um, another way to uh, have uh, fun with your kids is to play those indoor table games that um, some of us grew up with. I mean, I know, um, I personally, I don't know about you, Dr. Carroll, but I and my brothers spent hours with Monopoly. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like that was just uh, something that was so compelling and um, for younger kids, at least, the, old, the older kids, maybe over 10, aren't interested so much anymore, although I do know teenagers who are interested in Monopoly. But there's all these other kinds of games, and, and they range from the, um, the simple to, obviously, the complex and, and very um, uh, games that really challenge the mind, you know, games like chess. Mm-hmm. So another thing that uh, a parent could do... And, and I just want to say, yeah. some of, you know, some of um, the best childhood memories come from playing these games because it's not so much the game. I mean, yes, you, know, you can learn stuff from certain games and so on, but, and you have to use your mind. I mean, even Chinese checkers or regular checkers, yeah. you know, before chess or Scrabble or whatever. But, um, but it's the... It's the Family, it's being with family. It's yes. those moments that family was all around yes. that really um, 
create the warmest childhood memories, you know, and, and so parents who don't have a lot of money and they think, oh, oh, I can't take my child on a vacation somewhere or, you know, or, or take them to Disneyland or, you know, really um, the closeness will often be more, will be better, um, the bonding and so on, the memories are often better just sitting around at home laughing and, yeah. and playing a yeah. game. Yeah. I mean, you think about jigsaw puzzles. Um, if a family gets a, a fairly complex jigsaw puzzle that, uh, you know, it could be worked on a, lo- a number of different levels, um, you can exchange so much information and have, have so much fun creating something like that. Right. I totally, yes, you, you've got it. You've hit it on the nose. Um, another little thing that's uh, talked about in this chapter is uh, how about if you don't have any money, um, what about uh, starting a small business? Now, how are you going to do that without any money? Well, what if you take a, a sheet of white paper and fold it in quarters and make uh, homemade greeting cards and um, walk up and down the, the street and say, I, I have a box of ten greeting cards that we made in our family, and we'd love to see if you'd want to buy them. Or, you know, uh, what about uh, raking leaves for people? Well, here in, in California, it's not so much waiting, waking, raking leaves, but it might be weeding a, a garden. I have a, a, a stone garden, as I call it, and there's always, um, there are always little seeds that are growing in there, and I'd love to have somebody come along and, and um, offer to weed my stone garden. Uh-huh. That kind of thing um, parents can do with kids. Um, how about organizing physical activities outside that many people, other than just your family, can can be involved in? How about just the ordinary uh, fun of playing tag or or softball? Or how about a jump rope afternoon for some kids? Um, kids can invite their friends over and and do something like that: play dodgeball or kickball or hide and seek. These are really so much more. Um, valuable than they appear to be because of the the teamwork that kids learn, the the sportsmanship that they learn in those kinds of activities, those kinds of outdoor things. Uh, They're very rich, and sometimes I feel like they've gotten lost from our culture. Yes, yes, I know. It used to be just like like uh, the normal thing to go home after school and, and play all these different games um, and now, now people are worried about predators, and, and yeah. uh, you know, it's, it, that that really has been a loss. Which is why it is so important, as you suggest. You know, for it takes one parent to organize yes. this for a block. Yes, you know, exactly. And to be there to supervise uh, and help the kids organize it, and so on. Yes, it's, and it takes no money. <laughs> no money. <laughs> well, we'll be back, um, and we'll talk more with Dr. Esther Jansen and hear more about her book, Plus It, How to Easily Turn Everyday Activities into Learning Adventures for Kids. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. 
Dr. Carroll is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Son, we got to talk about drinking. Uh, I know. I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Dr. Ed Esther Jansen. She is the author of Plus It, How to Easily Turn Everyday Activities into Learning Adventures for Kids. And we're doing this in honor of Columbine and trying to draw attention to the necessity to fix our kids and not just leave it to the teachers. Um, during the break, Esther and I were talking about, I was bemoaning the fact that uh, as she was saying earlier, 50% of kids drop out of high school. And I was saying that, you know, it's just astounding and sad that in America, with all, all land of opportunity, that we haven't been more creative and found more creative ways to keep kids um, more engaged. And Esther was saying, and I'll let you continue, um, about how it's so important to start this engagement before school or, or, uh, or along with school on the part of the parents, and that's absolutely right. And, of course, that's what this book is helping to address. 
Um, yeah, thanks, Dr. Carroll. It's really nice to be talking about this stuff. It's so important in my mind. Um, I'd like to tell you something that, that uh, has been a, a piece of information that totally um, drives what I do and, and, and think about in terms of parents and, and families. And um, there was some research done in the mid-1990s, although the research was actually started in the 60s, but it was pulled together um, later on, that looked at um, what is the difference in homes, what is the difference in, in what people do with their kids. And basically they concluded it wasn't the toys that were in the home, it wasn't uh, the amount of income of the family, it wasn't whether it was one or two parents, it wasn't that stuff at all. What it was that made the crucial difference in um, the a child's ability to be successful in school was the amount of talking, of spoken words that the child experienced. And um, basically, I'll just give it to you really, really uh, quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this isn't the language that we're, we were using in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, so it might not be the terminology quite that we use today. But um, in a welfare family, the average four-year-old child had heard 13 million spoken words. And I'm not talking about spoken words, um, you know, hearing things from the television. So the, in the welfare family, it was 13 million. In the working class... 13 million per what? Uh, in, those four, in those four years, the average four-year-old from... Okay, oh, I see. Had, ...had heard 13 million spoken words. Uh-huh. In the working class family, it was 26 million spoken words. Hmm. And in the professional family, it was 45 million spoken words. Hmm. So the, the spoken words that they, the child that had, was born into the professional family heard was three times more, and thus their, their linguistic um, repertoire, what they have access to in terms of words and understanding, is three times bigger. Hmm. And, and I thought, you know, that is profoundly important information. Yes. Because... Everybody can talk to their child, you know, and everybody can use the biggest words they know with their child. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we could get parents to just talk to the child, not talk on the phone while the child is sitting there, or not um, assume that the child who's got the television going is, is, is picking up the words, because they're not. That's not where it comes from. It comes from the interaction between the individuals. And whether the child is sitting and listening to, you know, a, a mother and an aunt having a discussion, that's very rich for a child. They learn all kinds of words in that kind of a context. Um, but th- this business of, of encouraging parents to talk with their children is, um, I, I mean, talk about the number one, you talked about the number one addiction in our country with uh, violent media. The number one solution to, mm. I think, um, major educational problems is talking with children. Mm. Now, it's interesting because um, I, I guess, that, was there a way to control for, or, or did they talk in the study about, presumably the more words a child heard, the more time a parent was spending with that child? Not necessarily, not necessarily at all, because there are people who are in a room with a child and um, not interacting at all with the child. 
and you know maybe have the television on or, or whatever. So uh, it was that with the professional families, um, they talked to the child, asked the child questions, uh-huh. uh, um, commented on things, commented on the child's behavior. You know, uh, you know, driving you look, in a car and talking about the scenery. That's right. Or walking on the street and talking about what's right, in the store right. window. It's not just doing. You know, it's not just driving, walking down the street, pushing a, a, a cart. Uh, a, a, but a carriage, what do you call them? Yeah. A stroller in front of you. It's it's doing that and saying, yeah, wow, so look at that doggy right over there. I think that's a collie. You know, and, and using as much in terms of rich words with the child early on, early on. I mean, it's just astonishing that this all is, the whole foundation is laid before age four. And you know what What else, uh, well, I'm sure you know what else, but I want to bring out something, that these earliest experiences in school, preschool, kindergarten, whatever it is, um, the, the better a child is prepared, you know, by being exposed to all these words or by um, a parent reading to them and, and um, and, and, and stimulating their mind, the better they'll do in that first yes. year of experience at yes. school, and that will give them the confidence to to think that they can do well in school as opposed to thinking this is a place where I'm going to feel bad about myself because everybody is smarter than I am. Yes. And that really it, it psychologically determines how well they'll do it also. Absolutely. And, and so, I mean, it's like... Um... Uh, something that has occurred to me when in this whole conversation about education, um, you know, Mr. Obama is really coming forward as a strong parent who says, you know, you've got to read to your kids, and he's 100% right. Um, and the new Secretary of Education, Arne Duncan, is also a strong advocate of, of straightening things out and, uh, and supporting families and so on. Um, but... Um, what I, I want to say to the whole educational community is that we have an elephant in our living room, the living room of the arena of education, and we're all not talking about it because we don't know how to address it. And that, that elephant is. that's sitting there is the need for parenting education. Yes, yes. And we need also, before we leave here, we need to know where to get your book. Uh, if you go to Amazon.com, and you put in the whole title, plus it, How to Easily Turn Everyday Activities into Learning Adventures for Kids. You can order it off of Amazon, and it's coming in a day or two to people, and people seem to be enjoying it. And you can also go to the website, which is www.plusitbooks.com. Books.com, yes, echoes, plus stereo, plus it books. Plus it book, singular, plus it book.com. Yes. And uh, Esther, thank you so much for joining us. You, it, your wealth of experience and knowledge about education was, um, was amazing and um, impressive. And I hope really that people came away taking the idea of just how important those four years are, those first four years, although if, you, if you've missed those first four years, folks, that doesn't mean that you should stop uh, trying now. Every, yes. every year is important. So thank you very much. Again, the book is called Plus It, How to Easily Turn Everyday Activities into Learning Adventures for Kids. 
and the website is plusitbook.com. So thank you, Esther, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you so much, Dr. Carol. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.